0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 112th episode of the Truth Island podcast. In light of recent events with the stock market and questions surrounding inequality, the more fundamental question that needs to be answered is, are we as humans inherently selfish? Richard Dawkins, in his 1976 book, The Selfish Gene, postulates that in some instances, selfishness might be an inherited trait which increases the chances of human survival in an almost Darwinian sense. Dawkins begins by outlining that genes which serve an organism's implicit interest are more likely to be passed in successive generations. Dawkins further adds that acts of altruism and collective group efforts are merely merely an occurrence to preserve one's individual survival, but tend to fall apart once a group's interest negates the survival of each individual. Dawkins' book in many respects contradicted earlier ideas that good societies tended to be corrupted by especially selfish individuals, but rather suggests that inherent selfishness exists within each of us, but is curbed by mutual alliances that ensure reproductive success and transference of genetic material. In many respects, these ideas contradict earlier religious notions of altruistic sacrifice, belief in a higher purpose, or attaining higher levels of understanding in which the ego and self are no longer of paramount importance in recent times with growing income and wealth inequality one can't help but wonder if perhaps everyone is simply maximizing their reproductive chances and if absolutely no one even cares about the collective march of humanity joining me to help us become hopefully a bit less selfish i am once again joined by alexander alex I'm going to start off by asking you a question. When riding the bus or subway, what percentage of the time do you give up the seat to someone that was in need?
1: If it's a female, 100% of the time. If it's a male, I say this is my seat. There's nothing you can do (laughs) to (laughs) get it. You know, that's just the competitive nature in me. But no, I, I usually give up my seat, truly. Like if somebody's exhausted, they've worked a long shift, maybe it's early in the morning for me, but. It's late in the night for them and they've just come back from working at the Standard Hotel, which I've done for quite some time uh, in my early days in New York. They're exhausted. They need the seat. So, you know, give it to them. It's all well and good. You can stand for 30 more seconds to get to your next stop. But if it's a pregnant woman, I get so upset when people don't get up because they give you the eyes, right? They give you the baby eyes like, please, are you a normal human being?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that we instinctually, I talked about this on another podcast, that we instinctually know who is truly deserving of things and who is not. Um, I, I've noticed in New York when someone comes into a subway with a walker or a cane or a pregnant lady, they, they will always find a seat. They will absolutely always find a seat, but I think it's okay to be, if you're a guy on the train and you've had a mm-hmm. long, hard day of work and, you know, you look at someone else and you're just like, well, I'm just as exhausted as this dude where, where, you know, like it, it's a judgment call. Right. And I've probably made the judgment call from time to time to be like, Hey, you know, I'm just as tired as this guy. I am i st- I'm staying put right here. You know, I asked this question as I think it's a good way. You know, when we think of selfishness, we always go to Mm. the absolute top and be like, oh, well, the common proletariat people are just good hearted, warm, fuzzy creatures all around. And it's this evil, rich cabal of rich people that are holding (laughs) us down. And I'm like, well, I think we need to first look at selfishness within ourselves as individuals, because I Mm. I think selfishness, you know, occurs at every strata. You know, it it occurs between siblings or, you know, it it can it occurs between husband and wife, you know. Um, the, the most cited reason for divorce are, you know, issues over money, you know, so like, I, I think that this happens, sadly, uh, both on the micro level and on the macro level. And I I, I want to go to Dawkins, like theory, and I, I kind of want to talk like, are we, is he right that it's in our genetic interest to just be selfish and only be good when it, when it's self-serving? You know, I'm, I, It's a fair question to ask.
1: It is a fair question to ask, but I think that he's hitting it a little bit with the blunt instrument, in my opinion. I would argue that genetically speaking, we've gotten to where we are because we weren't solely selfish. I mean, just the rise of civilization was the first uh, occasion that we started to plant together to choose who tills the fields, when to harvest, when not to harvest, can we all work together on this? So now we're here. Now we have skyscrapers and airplanes that fly across the globe. So to say that we're genetically wired to be only selfish, is just a little bit blunt. I Mm -hmm. do believe, however, we are genetically wired to be self-possessed, which is a little bit different in my mind. Uh, Selfish implies like a morality of choice whereas self-possessed is a little bit more of a survival driver, right? For example, if you're on an airplane and the masks come down, they instruct you first to put your mask on first so you can assist others. And I think that these links in this chain of this conversation of what is selfishness is an important thing to look at because I always found people who are the most selfish are usually the ones that fall into two categories. One uh, people who are unable to be comfortable out of control when things are out of control and to sit in that and be comfortable in the out of control and also those that have an innate desire to be in control. So I think whenever there's a disproportionate lack of character in those two categories, almost like two parts of the piston to the engine that drives it, that's when you know selfishness in the morality sense really takes a kicker
0: you know i think that's really brilliant alex um i, I do see this because I, I i also borrowing a quote from our friend yoda i, I see a lot of <laughs> selfishness kind of surrounded in fear you know i i see this like fear of like i have to start hoard- like because we think about why people start hoarding resources let's just really think about it they think that there's not going to be enough and what's interesting about wealthy people is that you'll notice that they don't just hoard money, they also hoard cans of soup. They also build bomb shelters. They also build other ridiculous things that they think is going to sa- are going to save them. And I'm like asking myself, "Okay, is it that they are just inherently selfish? And when you actually look further, I see that fear. There's that fear of like all of these bad things are going to happen to me. I need to have a thousand cans of soup in a bomb shelter for when the apocalypse happens and so forth. And what I see is like really fear, fear of death, fear, fear of that really kind of driving a lot of this behavior. And I think. To to, to add on to your point about uncertainty, I think the more comfortable you become with the idea of death, the less selfish you actually become.
1: Well, that's definitely a fact. The more comfortable you become with death, I think the more enlightened you become just as a person. But the example of the wealthy following through with extreme tactics is an extreme facet of the wealthy group. I, I grew up with a lot of amazing wealthy people who did none of that. And they were some of the most normal, generous, open-minded creative people I've ever come across simply because they're not under the yoke of poverty, right? They Mm -hmm. have the ability to have extra time. I mean, even history explains this, right? If you're a person of wealth and you're working in the army, you're able to afford better armor. So it's just, there is this social climbing aspect to being wealthy that opens up, i Opportunities for the arts, or for decadence, or for whatever. So again, this brings it right back to, to being self-possessed. If if I was flat broke and had absolutely nothing, no place to stay, no money in my account, no car, no ID, nothing, I'd be pretty selfish. I'd be pretty selfish because I gotta have myself eat. I mean, this is what's tapping into that that uh, that monkey brain of ours, which is we have to survive. We have to survive. And there's also another side of this coin, which I find interesting, especially with the wealthy, since we brought them up, they are providing one person is providing for a, a, a certain branch of their family tree and their success is tied into their ability to maintain the happiness and the lifestyle. However, we might look at that as let's choose a different word than grotesque, completely different, right? Aristocratic, let's say they still need to provide for that. So when it comes down to it, they feel that they are protecting theirs,
0: right? Their, yes.
1: their people. And therefore they might choose to do something selfish. But I think all of this stems down to an essential problem, which is that humanity doesn't view humanity as equal. Humanity puts a hierarchy structure on them and says, these people are a waste of space. They're not going anywhere. They're just gonna take what's mine. I need to eliminate that problem to increase the abundance of what I have.
0: Now, there's a very interesting, um, study that's kind of, that was performed years ago, and I'm going to butcher this study, but the gist of it is, is that like there, there is like the, um, the macro hierarchy, like ultra wealthy middle-class, you know, shrinking Mm. middle-class, uh, poor and so forth. But there's also a local, um, hierarchy that each of us creates. For example, people tend to value their family more than they do just random strangers. So even within each family unit, there's a hierarchy there. Like I value my son more than someone else's son. And this has been tested Mm -hmm. out where they have shown that like, um, you know, I think there was like a classic example of like, imagine there's like a burning building, right? And your son is in one building and someone else's son is in another Mm -hmm. building. Who do you save? Do you save your own son or do you save some, random dudes, son. And obviously, overwhelmingly, you know, people will, will choose to save their own kin, you know, like Mm -hmm. if if they had, if they had to choose. So we, we have this like preference system to what's closer to us, what looks like us, what, what um, feels like us, what we think will protect us and so forth. And I, I think that that probably has some kind of um, genetic callback, you know, like my, like, like the, the father's instantly saying to himself, well, that son represents me. That son represents my genetic material right there. And I can't let that genetic material fade away. So there's, there's even that local programming that we have to contend with.
1: Yeah. And the beauty of this is that most of humanity is empathetic enough to look at that situation as tragic. Yeah. Whereas in the, in the wild kingdom, they may not have that level of empathy. I mean, some may argue otherwise, or they don't have the opportunity to express that empathy. So that decision is a very clear decision to the animal kingdom. It just feels morally or more so morally strained for us. But the whole reason we have that hierarchy structure is so we can make good decisions. So, you know, this is, this is getting into the conversation of making harder choices is that a selfish thing to do? And I don't think so. You know, there's just only so much order we can bring to this level of chaos. And unfortunately sometimes that makes, that means making selfish decisions for the betterment of the whole. I mean, I wrote a children's book about this, um, Mm -hmm. you know, about the, the environment and how if the environment of your worldly surroundings, isn't a healthy environment, then you have to make a change. And sometimes that involves two people, moving on for the sake of each other's environment. You know, there's a relativity conversation here.
0: Yes, yes. There's also, there is precedent for this, you know, and again, a lot of people are like, man, we don't need religion anymore, but hold the phone right there because religion does actually have an answer to this. And I think it comes in the form of Abraham and his son, Isaac, where, you know, even even God at some point tells you like, hey man, to save humanity, you might have to like kill your son. Like it, it actually like in that story, it kind of embodies that. And then the last second God stops him from doing it. But there is this like idea that that is being almost hinted in religion that there is a, a level almost of transcendence in which we are expected or it would be desired for us to come where we, we were, we're even like, man, I am so dedicated to getting this species moving forward that I will sacrifice my, you know, and then, and then it's continued onward, I think, with the story of Jesus who sacrifices himself and so forth. So this idea of like altruistic sacrificing both of, of the, of the family unit and then, you know, in, in the embodiment of Jesus in the individual unit kind of really promotes this idea. And like, like I said, do I think it's realistic that people are going to get to that enlightened level? Absolutely not. Like we're, we're not like, we're not anywhere close to doing that, but I think that there's some, if you read these stories and you kind of, um, follow it, let's say you follow it like to 5% or 10% to that kind of idealism, then you could say to yourself, you know what, man, I I should donate 20% of my income or something. That's not as bad as like sacrificing my son or something crazy like that. So I, I, I think that- we, we have thrown the baby away with the bathwater in, in the sense that we're like, man, we're science all the way. Dawkins, you know selfish Gene, that's the answer here. But I'm like, look at what we've lost here. We've kind of lost that fundamental um, level of compassion and this, I, this this ideal of I think I think altruism is something that we may or may not ever achieve, but I think that we've thrown away even the pursuit of altruism and that's the most dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've just given up. I'm like, we're never going to be that. Let's just give up. And I'm like, we need to return to at least aiming to be altruistic. I'm not saying we're going to get there, but at least walking in that path.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that would be a good choice. You know, really trying to grow into being altruistic in totality, more altruistic, a hundred percent. Yeah. Totally altruistic. I don't see that working. I, I don't. And you know, maybe it's because I'm a little more selfish than you. That's possible. Or maybe it's because I'm a little bit more of a cynic in this example. But um, there is one core problem with this is that you can be as altruistic as you want. But if the other half of whom you're being altruistic towards decides to fudge it up, there's nothing you can do. And your efforts are in vain. So the question is, is, is working to be anti-selfish or to be fully altruistic does that operationally work does that work operationally
0: i think i think if it's done on an incremental basis um you know again like well i'm I'm not on this show advocating we all need to become like jesus tomorrow or something like that you know i'm not i'm not going that i'm not going that far and saying but i think that the we have to get back on the incremental step ladder of of Uh, altruistic behavior. And again, like I'm really, really moderate and really slow on this. Just very simple things, very simple things. And and something as simple as that is like, hey, I'm going to help somebody that's in need. It's a rich person saying, hey, I'm okay with my taxes going from like, you know, 38% to 46% or something, you know, like that's, like, that's not sacrificing the family farm, right? It's not, it's not sacrificing everything. It's a small little incremental thing, a small incremental gesture that you're doing that shows, hey, I kind of care about Myself and my family, but I also care about this like greater, uh, greater organism of humanity that we're all a part of, and I, mm-hmm. I I think that's the kind of goal. So again, if you take the most radicalized version of this, it's going to fail. I agree with you, but if you implement it on an incremental basis, then I, I think it, I think it's at least worth looking at.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, we need that. We, and there's so much pain out there right now that can be easily solved with just basic changes. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if I could call that altruistic, but maybe it's a an element of the pursuit of altruism, right? Where we're just getting better and better incremental change just as you said. Yes. Mm-hmm. We need that. We absolutely need that. I mean, the whole pole of the rising current what seems to be like the aristocracy pulling away from those who don't even have basic needs or those in other opposite countries that don't have medical supplies or a roof over their head. Like all of this is easily solvable on some level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The reason why we don't do it, you know, that's totally up for debate. Dawkins says it's genetic. I think it's just purely uh, competition that uh, assists the overall objective. And I know that's like kind of a gross explanation, but, if you're stacking more resources into a straight line, you get there quicker. And I know that's disgusting, but I think this is what they think. I think that why, why would I move out of my way to assist this one spot when I get nothing in return to accomplish my objective? And because we're all trying to kill each other, <laughs> which is the whole reason there are borders. It's, it's almost like a live or die situation.
0: So I kind of, I talked about this on a previous podcast with my friend, Joe, and the, the, the goal of, it, and people ask, well, what's in it for the rich, right? Like what, why should they pay higher taxes? There are, you know, like what's, what's it in for them? Suppose they're just sociopaths, right? Like, let's just pretend for a second. They're pure sociopaths. They only care about themselves. Well, it's like, do you really want to be king of an ant colony? And that's, and that's a fair thing. And studies have shown that in countries Uh, like, you know, um, when you think of the developing world or the third world, countries where there's extreme levels of income inequality, the wealthy are not happy at all. They're actually quite miserable. They live in gated communities, but they have no freedom. If they leave their gated community. They're at risk of being assassinated, or 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 some something. You know, they have to be surrounded by bodyguards at all times. They they um, they just they have a very small radius in which they're able to walk, and a small radius in which they're able to operate. And they're actually like even though they're wealthy relative to the people starving in their country, they're actually a lot poorer than uh, rich people in more uh, developed countries and more freer nations because. Basically, you know, people in America become wealthy, not just selling things to other wealthy people, because, you know, how many yachts can you buy? How many houses can you buy? How many, you know, mansions can you own? They actually get wealthy selling stuff to us, the folk, right? We, you know, <laughs> and th- there's this idea that if, if people are so bloody poor, it actually hurts your own survival. It hurts your own protection, all, all of these regimes where you have oligarchs or you have power concentrated into a few hands, there is constant assassination attempts. There's constant right. like coup, you know, military coups and all this other kind of ridiculous stuff. So my argument is, is that if you're a really rich person and just down to the core, pretty darn selfish, your own survival is at stake if you allow right. the rest of humanity to rot.
1: Right. And not even just your survival, but the survival of the unborn to come within your family. I mean, part of this is like, people who become immensely successful, a lot of the times they come from nothing. They, they have absolutely dire situations and then they pull themselves through that to become successful. Now that's not 100%, that's probably a small portion, but they exist, they understand. If I'm not leaving something for my kids, they're going to have to go through that shit twice. Why does that make sense? Am I building this to to assist other people or am I building this just to get myself out? And I, I think honestly, a lot of the times they build it to help the unborn generations within their family to come to have a situation better than the last. Is that selfish? Is it selfish for me to go into competition with everyone else on this planet to make sure that my kid goes to a good school?
0: I think I'm going to answer that question. Um, I would be lying. Every parent owes it to send their child to the best possible school and mm-hmm. give them the best possible opportunities. And I would be a complete liar if I said otherwise. Like if if you if you have the resources to give your kids a leg up in this world, please by all means do it. Where it becomes selfish is when that leg up is undeserved. And I think we kind of see this a little bit in like the cheating scandals with the Ivy Leagues. You, we see this, like, for example, if I just arbitrarily appoint my son, who's completely incompetent as the next CEO of my company, and he doesn't deserve to be there, he doesn't have the mental acumen or the motivation to be there, well, then I'm kind of doing a, a disservice. Like I've given my child all of the opportunities, all of the um opportunities to be something. But if I just arbitrarily appoint them to some position of power, I'm not really taking care of them in in a way. I'm actually doing them a a huge disservice by just really taking up space because ultimately they're going to wreck that company. Ultimately, they're going to squander whatever opportunities I give. And ultimately, I'm actually, see, here's the thing is that I, I think wealthy people make this mistake of thinking that you're taking care of your child just in a Uh, monetary sense. Like that's how you take care of a child. You just buy them stuff. If you just buy them enough stuff, you're taking care of them. But what about their spirit? You have Mm -hmm. to take care, you have to cultivate a child's spirit. And the only way to cultivate a child's spirit is through hardship. If the child never goes through any hardship or doesn't overcome things or doesn't accomplish things or overcome obstacles, well, you may have monetarily taken care of them, but you have kind of not taking care of their spirit, which is why you kind of see this phenomena of, um, you know, the children of wealthy sometimes being adru- addicted to drugs and and all sorts of stuff like that because the spirit was not cultivated.
1: Right, but I've seen it done. I've seen very wealthy people surrounded by scumbaggery of wealthy people still raise their kids to have all of that, and the and the blanket of of being privileged enough to not be concerned i've seen it happen is it rarer than it is common probably yes probably just from my personal experience but it is entirely possible part of the dilemma is that the american character thinks that in order to be a great person you have to be shaped by your external forces and then rise above within whereas it's a more eastern philosophy that the power is within what you change from within changes your external Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so the whole concept that it's like oh you're born from privilege your parents have some wealth you're not able to overcome the same trials and tribulations you know that that i don't know if i necessarily agree with that i think it's more likely that someone with a silver spoon in their mouth won't have the character to come through but it's really just about how you appropriate life experience in general if you're appropriating your life experience to your progeny just through your money through the assets that you own and through the grandeur of what life you've built, then you've already failed and you've built a husk of a human being. Right. But if you sit them down and say, these are the principles, the core principles that I've struggled through day in, day out. And as long as you follow this basic plan, everything else will fall into place.
0: Now, now this, this is very interesting. And I I, I, I agree with you. Um, and and I, I think that from what, from what I've read, the the people that have the wealthy people that have raised successful children have done so in such a way where they kind of almost pretend to be poor in, in a sense, like, you know, it's hard, like, obviously they live in big houses and so forth, but they, they kind of pretend to just be like, Man, I can't buy you that, you know, I can't afford that. Or they, they kind of just put on this like very modest act of like, sorry, uh, you know, I can't buy you that Lamborghini at 16 or whatever. And they kind of like give what they, they kind of create this like fiat or this like fake sense, like this fake sense of like you have to kind of earn this on your own. And what that does is that that teaches the child. Some level of responsibility. They they may even make their kid get a, a part time job over the summer, or or volunteer, or do something. So they're still getting you know the private school education. If they get accepted into an Ivy League school, you know someone's still you know uh, basically paying the bill for that. So they're they're getting the privileges, but they're just not getting all of the senseless materialistic. Luxuries that they're just not entitled to, and that's I think like the dividing line where we want to think of this. It's like if you want to take care of your kids, yes, if there's some way that money can help, I get it. I, I 100% I get that, and I get it as you know 100%. But you also you want your child to also go through hardship, and you also want them to go through some tears, and you want them to go. I, I think a good example of this. Um, what's her name? I think her name is Amy Chow. She wrote a book called uh, Tiger Mom. Uh, she's like um, a law professor at Harvard, uh, at Yale rather. And, you know, she says like, hey, I don't buy my kids anything. I don't, I don't buy them video games. I don't, I, I treat them, I treat them as if they're poor, even though we're pretty well off. And and that's like an idea of, of cultivating character. But I, I guess like the point I'm trying to make here is that. With this, I get, I'm not saying that we can ever kind of train people to like put other people's kin first I think I think that's a really hard thing to accomplish. But we need Mm -hmm. to start being aware of like, does my child fundamentally deserve what it is that I am setting up for them if my child is exceptionally smart and deserves to be in this position in life, fair enough. But I think parents need to be honest with themselves and say, hey, I love you. I love you so much, my, my son, my daughter, but, but this working class kid kind of deserves to be at Harvard right now and not you. And I think that's a fair thing to say for every parent. I don't, I don't think you're feeding your own kid to the wolves by just being fundamentally honest with yourself.
1: Right, saying being honest with yourself and honest with your kid is I think different than saying if they deserve or not, and here's why. I think that uh, reinforcing that structure, whether someone is deserving, when it's when you're outside of that individual, who happened to be born into a certain set of circumstances, which you know may or may not be different if they were in a different body, sleeve somewhere else in the world, you know, speaking a different language, feeling a different religion, and I worry that this whole desperation to instill in a privileged born child the very things that got that first individual to that level that can create some strange abuse structures where it's like you're not amounting to what you have to do to get where i am you don't deserve this Mm -hmm. and then because this scale of the what is it the y on a graph right which is up and down The scale of the why is so much further that they have to reach. It's a higher frequency that they have to reach that now the undeserving aspects of yourself, even if it's not your fault, even if you haven't matured in a certain way yet, but you will, you start to feel that you don't deserve anything. And maybe that's when a parent says you don't deserve anything. And for those reasons, psychologically, because I don't believe you deserve any of this. You deserve nothing. You're less than what i've done and you know that's a struggle too and i wonder if this is where a lot of this oh my rich dad beats me in secret kind of stereotype comes from right where it's like the dad's like how do i show you that you're being this sniveling little worm that isn't going to succeed i have to force you to see this now for the for your own good
0: no if that's I- a common sentiment I I think I I hear you, man. And I think that what this has to what this comes down to is I think the ultimate the parent ultimately has to say to themselves, I've made my choices in life to 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 start this company, to do whatever. And I and I just love my children for who they are. I I think that 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 is something that every parent needs to say and even if their parent if even if their child goes off the beaten path or does whatever it is that they feel is right you just love them the same and i think i think again I, and i think it goes back to what you said really in the beginning of this podcast is that those who are the most selfish also have the desire to control they have this desire to control everything around them including their loved ones they they want right. their loved ones to fit a specific mold that is specific to their vision even specific like there because the parent is thinking about their own uh dynastic cycle the parent is thinking about their dynastic cycle and saying I want the child to continue this dynastic lineage that I have set forth and there is there is some degree of selfishness in that where the parent has to say hey i I knocked it out of the park I you know hit some home runs out here it's ultimately it's out it's it's kind of like I have to kind of embrace that uncertainty and embrace that these forces are out of my control and that my child will do whatever it is that they feel is right. And all I can do is support them. And all I can really do is kind of just embrace them for who they are. And I, I think you're right, man. I think this this desire mm-hmm. for fear and control causes the worst in us. It absolutely does.
1: It's so funny because that you brought that up because uh, this morning we were having a conversation about the Mary Trump book, um, which detailed some of the of her opinion of why Donald Trump is who he is and what psychoanalytic forces molded his personality in her opinion. And a lot of it stems from exactly what we're talking about, which is a father saying, you don't deserve to feel that way. You don't deserve to act that way. You do what I need you to do. And look at, look at what happened. Say what you want about him as a president. He's, He seems pretty selfish to me. So this whole concept of adding a value to the soul of an individual, depending on what his or her circumstances are, is tricky business. Yes. Because I really do understand both sides, right? It's like, how could you say you're better than me just because you were born in America, white, male, and your parents have 10 million in the bank? What makes you better? The answer is nothing. But they have a better opportunity to make something of that money, mm-hmm. of, of themselves. They have a better chance. That doesn't mean they deserve it more or less, but they do have a better chance. I mean, we, I don't think we can argue about that. I mean, we could get into the nuances of as of why, but in terms of just being able to expend resources to be given opportunities, there's more opportunities.
0: Absolutely. And I think that this is actually an issue um, hearkening back to our conversation in the Republic um, with Plato. Plato really just said, you know, like, like if we follow Plato's advice, I think everything is going to be a okay. You know, we just, we have to listen to this guy. His book has survived for 2000 years for a reason. And he just simply says, aspire to be in the guardian for those who want to be guardians, for those who want to be the caretakers of our civilization, please do so. Like, like, you know, we need people like you. However, every generation has to be judged by according to its own merits. And Plato specifically says that the guardian class can compose of people who come from the wealthy or come from the working class. It's really up for us as a society to create the pathways and the the vehicles for people, for future rulers to come from all uh, walks of life. And that's, if we follow that advice... Again, the, the people on the radical left will tell us, you know, everything must be equal. Doctors and janitors must be living in the same house together as brothers. I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen, radical left guy, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's, that's not right at all. No one's actually saying that. What we are saying that is that someone who's born in the poorest tiers of America should have some kind of road that they can travel to so that they can be a, a part of the guardian class, do well, you know, and, and, and have influence and, and do Well for themselves. And then and then their child may may continue that on, or they may not. But it has to, it has to be, and and, and you and the parent has to be fundamentally okay with that. that. And that's justice. Like we all need to be like again, this is what Plato said. Plato said, don't put compassion as your highest virtue, put justice as your highest virtue. If you if you make justice your highest virtue, you won't find any of these problems because everyone will be like, hey sorry, you, you just, you didn't make the baseball team. You just didn't deserve to be there. You know, you just, you didn't, you weren't good enough. You don't have a good right arm. Uh, you just don't belong to be on the baseball team. I love you, son. You're just not going to make it on the, on to the New York Yankees. And if we have that fundamental, you know, the way that, and with sports, it's very fair, right? We know if someone's good at basketball, we know when someone's right. a good runner, we know when someone's a good baseball player. And we just, we just tell, Hey, look, you know, I'm only five foot eight. People were like, dude, you're not going to be on the, you're not going to play for the Knicks you know that's the end of the story and then it's like that that kind of like blunt honesty is 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 what we need in all spheres of life and i think once we get closer to that idea of justice once we're there touching justice a lot of these problems are going to fix themselves wow well said I, I think I, I think this is you know th- this is obviously a very sensitive topic for a lot of people. We, we're at we're at a turning point right now because um, you know, again I, I study a lot of public policy, the Gini coefficients, all of these metrics that we have that that show indicators of of inequality. They're way up. We're losing our middle class. We're losing. Um, the bedrock ideals of, of this country, that they, they are completely falling apart. I'm not here to take anyone's mansion away. I'm not here to take away something that somebody is proud of or worked really hard to get. That's not what I'm about. What I am asking is that we, we have to, each of us, each of us has to sacrifice just a bit more to make this system fair and just if, if we if we stop seeing this as a war between the rich and the poor or any right. of these kind of like French, like hyperbole French Revolution kind of like um, acronyms, and we start seeing this as just a pursuit for justice and fairness, we can solve this problem, my friend. we really We really can. But it's really the pursuit of justice that's the answer to this.
1: So I'm curious, like, what do you think would be a good creative exercise that could be instilled in public education that would make that um, obtainable for people, maybe literally playing out court situations, you know, some sort of class, um, about justice, because Mm, I think what you're saying is incredibly accurate and, you know, very well put justice should be primary in every person's personality structure. It should be because, I mean, I just don't know any other way to have a reasonable citizen base.
0: I think I think one of the things um, that that happens is that I think if you tackle inequality, you actually remove some of the fear. And the reason why inequality brings so much fear is because it's all or nothing. You're either super rich or you're super poor. It's like, oh well, if you if you don't play your cards exactly right, you're going to be out there, uh, you know, on on the breadlines. So. One thing that you can kind of do is have a strong, robust middle class. If most people are middle class, well, the rich don't have to worry all that much anymore. Because if you if you are a rich man and your son doesn't do exactly what you want your son to do, the worst thing that will happen is like, okay, my son will just be like uh, an upper middle class guy or whatever. No big deal, you know. Like like it's not that bad. But if you live in a society that's so T- like so stratified well then there's all this fear of like oh my god either you're the next king or you're going to be on the breadline so having that middle class investment is really going to be key to bringing about justice if most people and then if most people see like there was this idea and it was a staple of our thought process in America, especially in the 19, you know, in the late 40s and 1950s and early 60s, that if you worked a 40-hour job, you had a house, a, a Levitt town house. It wasn't, it wasn't a right. beautiful mansion. It was just just as anyone else. And what that basically did is that that's a psychological buffer of like, okay the worst thing that's going to happen to me in this world is I'm just going to be like everyone else and have a three bedroom house. And, and, you know, like my kids will go to a pretty decent school. Maybe my kid will work really hard and and move up. Maybe they won't, you know, like the worst thing that can happen is that I'll just continue working 40 hours a week and be middle class. Mm. What has happened in this country is, and this is a, again how we've moved away from justice is that like if you don't have five masters degrees and, and you know in the STEM fields then right. then you are destined to be on a breadline and that's that's the all or nothing psychology of of the way that the the country has been set up and Once we fix that, the stakes won't be as high. If you lose your job, the stakes aren't as high. If you Mm -hmm. pick the wrong, quote unquote, the wrong major, the stakes aren't that high. If you start investing in public schools, well, now you've given some of the poor people a chance to actually learn stuff. You've actually given them a chance uh, to learn about chemistry. You've given them a chance to learn uh, about science, and they have actually a fair crack at you know getting a decent paying job or you've given them a fair crack at studying the legal profession or or doing something worthwhile with their lives and risk is all about how high like you know the more the the more you risk to lose the worse it gets and the more fear is induced and i'm actually making a plea to, to our richest brothers and sisters out there and saying listen guys if you want the paranoia to stop if you want the hate to stop it's really in your hands if you pay if you if we return to the tax rates of the night of the 1950s and 60s a lot of these problems will go away you're still going to be incredibly wealthy you're still going to be incredibly well to do and you'll still ha- drive nice sports cars you'll be just fine i promise you and what will happen is that if you're the, the mental strain and the mental anguish that's existing within your family will start to diminish because you'll say to yourself great my daughter's doing this and she's happy and she lives in a decent house so if we if we come back to that and we come back to that pursuit of justice this world is going to be quite amazing my friend and, and I, I I'm optimistic I know I know that we can get there
1: it's inspiring it really is
0: thank you my friend this concludes the 112th episode of the truth Island podcast I'm Aaron Azrod.